everything you need to know about commercial aviation. This is Layovers. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pavelevichu. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and five minutes, and we expect on time arrival. Coming up on this flight, the major US airlines seem to be losing the lobbying battle against the Middle Eastern carriers. The European Union calls for even more open skies between the two sides of the Atlantic. Swiss gets its brand new Bombardier C series, and it looks amazing. Boeing might well include a 747 in a deal with Iran. India leads the way in self-sufficient solar-powered airports. The uncertain future of air travel in the UK after Brexit. Air Serbia launches a new US route displaying the network power of Etihad. Emirates hires Christoph Müller. Will he become their new CEO? As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast signal sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 43 to San Jose. Hi, Alex. Hi, San Jose, California. Yeah, you were just Not there. But the most, most, most important part, you flew there in a 787. Finally, so how is that? Finally! How long has that plane <laughs> been flying for? Jeez. <laughs> Every time so, the universe conspired to make sure that I did not fly on that airplane, but I even changed my destination because I was going to San Francisco. My stuff was in San Francisco, but I uh, mentioned the fact that I was going to the Bay Area on BA in their business class product, and I pinged our good friend Johnny Clark over the design air and said, okay, which one, A380 or, or 787? And he suggested the 787 because the cabin is smaller and more intimate, and, and he was right, but... Holy heck, what an airplane. Yeah, you like that, right? The best thing, I mean, without <laughs> I, all of the other technological advances of that airplane are amazing. And, you know, the, the cabin humidity and the, the pressurization and all that. But those windows. Yes, 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 yes. They're huge. They're huge. <laughs> and, you, you know, it, it, with the way that the BA cabin is laid out, and I'll talk more about that in a second, uh, you get three windows. And so you can kind of like push your face against the window and see for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. And because it's got that wonderful tinting feature, the quality of what you're seeing is just enhanced so much more. It's just just that whole thing is just incredible. <laughs> so just one thing, because I was slightly frustrated, as I said in the previous episode, where the, the shading... Was it working correctly? Yeah, it worked beautifully. Because for me, did you actually get full black quickly? No. In fact, it's, yeah. it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because on the return leg, uh, which leaves at 8 p.m. out of San Jose, I ate dinner, watched a movie, and then went to sleep. And when I woke up several hours later, somewhere kind of over Ireland, I was like, wow, these, they, these are really dark now. Really. And it was, of course, <laughs> it was, you know, it's the summer, so it was... Bright, bright sunshine outside, but you certainly wouldn't notice it. But you can still see through it. I, I that's what I love. Yeah, I like that. It, it's just that there's a. I don't know if it was the same with you. There's a slight lag and, and a noticeable yes. lag 
between the when you press on the button to get the shade and it actually does it. Yes. And uh, sometimes you're like, is it actually working? You know, these kind of like, or, or should I just wait? Yeah, I, I think I don't know um, if if they're all the same on all planes, all airlines, but. Certainly on the BA one, they had an LED indicator to show what Correct. setting you were on. So, and I figured that you know when I put it all the way down to the darkest, that it was just going to do its thing. And I was surprised at how dark it was when I woke up. And it certainly wasn't that dark. I don't think when I went to sleep. No, I have the same feeling. I have the same feeling. It happened to me the, the two times I flew that aircraft. The same thing. Well, I went to sleep and when I woke up, I said, oh, it's darker than what I remember. So probably, I don't know if it's simply because the window takes forever to get there or yeah. maybe because there's a master switch somewhere. And I was they just thinking the same thing. I wonder if there's a an even darker setting that the flight crew, um, Can, the cabin yeah. crew have, have access to. I'm not sure, but those windows are revolutionary. I'm just, uh, I'm yeah, blown away with it. For, as for, for someone who loves just the window seat, it was, you know, it's funny. I took my youngest son to the Duxford Flying Legends Air Show this weekend and we went on some of the old airliners, which, by the way, if you're in the UK at any point, Duxford, which is near Cambridge, about 45 minutes north of London, have a row, not to mention a Concorde and a Blackbird, but a, a row outside of British, old retired British airliners. There's the Trident, a BAC-111, a VC-10. And one of them was this beautiful prop job, and the name escapes me, um, but the windows were absolutely, maybe a foot and a half across. They were wow. perfect circles. It's so funny that, and this was sort of circa 1950s, it's so incredible to me that it's taken us this long to get back to decent-sized yeah. windows. Uh, yeah. but Actually, the, we'll talk about it later, but I think that the new C-series of Bombardier also seemed to have larger windows. Oh, good. The, the 350 that I flew from, uh, I mentioned that in the last episode, from Doha to Munich, also has slightly larger windows than a normal Airbus, but clearly not as, you know, wow, when you enter the, the, the 787, the Dreamliner, that's the first thing you see, like, holy cow, how big they are. So, yeah, I'm so happy you flew it because, yeah. man, this is, this I, is the new so, 747. Yeah, I'm, I'm a real fan. And the BA business class product is weird. Uh, I, think, I think the word I used when I told you about it was quirky. Yeah. Because the all of the window seats face backwards, and that's mm -hmm. fine. In fact, for me, it was perfect because I got front row seats to the engine and the wing. And so on takeoff, I could watch that incredible wing flex. Oh, wow. That's nice, actually. Yeah, yeah. It was so, you know, I'm flying backwards, you know, isn't a thing for me. But the the way Are that they... it works is like this, this you if you're in a window seat, you have to step over the person in the aisle seat to get to the aisle. There's no... Real, what? there's no other way to do it. You can't is get it, out. Are, they, are these in uh, some kind of herringbone? No, uh, no, they're they're straight, straight. Um, okay. but one faces backwards, one faces forwards, and so you also have this, this thing where you're like very close to the face of a total stranger, yeah. But there's a privacy wall, there is, right? but then there's this sort of level of awkwardness as you know, who's going to put the the uh the divider <laughs> up. And interestingly, when we on the day flight from London to San Jose. Uh, as soon as the safety briefing was finished, we were still on the ground. One of the cabin crew came over and put it up for us to kind of remove that awkwardness. Uh, but see? it's a really strange, strange configuration. I don't know. I mean, the seat itself is average, but I see. Oh, okay. it's, it's, it's just, it was a really strange setup. <laughs> well, I'm happy you flew the, the Dreamliner finally, and I hope you're going to fly it more. Me too. I'm going to try to fly it more. Uh, I, 
We've done a few flights. We're going to mention them all throughout the show. A lot has happened since we last recorded. I was a bit late actually putting the last episode on. I'm really sorry because I actually took a vacation. Uh, there was a Euro. It just finished last night. Portugal won. Sorry, Alex. I know you were supporting France last night. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the, the, the funny bit about that is I flew one leg uh, just uh, London to Munich and back. I had an event in Munich. I also mentioned it later. And um, it was really funny because it was during the Euro. Germany was still playing. So I hadn't been thrown out at that time. And when I entered that flight, it was a very early flight. You know, these flights that are at 6 a.m. or something out for Heathrow. And all the crew, including the pilots, had a gear from the, the Mannschaft. So That's the, cool. Uh, jerseys and even two of the crew had like uh, a two-peat that makes like these blonde germanic you know air that was really really fun they were super fun so and i i mentioned them on twitter so thank you so much Lufthansa, because that was a really really fun flight they actually renamed the flight when the captain made the announcement of the pa instead of saying lufthansa they said fanhansa which means you know the crew from the fans you know so that was really really nice. fun so i did i did enjoy that a lot i'm sorry of course that germany wasn't able to go through the final but that was really cool it's something the finance i think i started i think uh, during the last world cup it was already the case we had mentioned it i think in uh, an episode there was also a tweet we saw uh, because a lot of stuff has happened of course during the euro also related to aviation iceland was a big thing that uh, they were so cool what a story i mean even if you're not a football fan what a story iceland was and they were so fun to watch and they clearly i mean the whole it captivated the not only the entire nation but the entire tournament yeah and there was a tweet from a pilot from Wow Air. I go, go on, say just. <laughs> so it was so, so Wow Air, the low cost carrier in, in Iceland. And they said that the Icelandic pilots had predicted the England Iceland result. And there's this wonderful photo of, uh, I think it must be inside of a A320 or something, but it's engine one button. And then ordinarily it would say engine two, so ENG one, but they'd scratched out ENG two and put ISL two. So you have England one, Iceland two, which was the result. So yeah, I don't know how many England fans found that particularly funny, but I did. <laughs> uh, I, since we're talking about BA and England, I want to make a public apology. I know it was not truly public. I was at an event uh, with a lot of airlines. I'm going to also mention it later including BA, and I said something, I was, there has been a few problems at BA because BA has upgraded its uh, booking system. Uh, they told me actually they upgraded it airport by airport and Ethro was the last one to be upgraded. And of course it broke down, nothing was working. So on top of French ATC airstrikes, then yeah. oh, weather, yeah. then <clears throat> this, and me on the conference, because it has just happened, I say publicly in front of like, a, you know, hundreds of people, I, I, I kind of was not really nice to be. And of course, then the PA representative came to me after the event and says, that was not super nice. So I want to apologize to BA because actually, you know what, BA on customer service, so on Twitter, when you are actually interacting with them and you had that many times yourself as an experience, yeah. interacting with them, especially on DMs, they are actually very responsive. They have ownership of your problem, unlike some other airlines that I'm not going to name. So yeah, BA, you're not that bad. So sorry so that I passed you publicly and I promise you I will fly you more. The other thing that happened, uh, Sully, the new movie from Clint Eastwood, got the trailer. You, you want to see that, right? Oh, yeah. So, so <laughs> it, I think I've told this story before, but I was there I, I, when this plane landed on the Hudson. I, I saw it 
this plane sitting on the river with all the people on the on the wings. Um, and you know what's interesting about this movie? Uh, I did not know that they there was such scrutiny over his decision to land on the water and that this is the crux of the movie. Of course, if you're an aviation enthusiast or even a an armchair pilot, you know that he was entirely exonerated and given the highest civilian honor that you can get in America. But I, I had no idea that his decision to ditch on the Hudson came under such scrutiny and and he yeah, was yeah. really kind of you know he, he had to go through a lot to sort of to validate and justify that decision but yes i think it's tom hanks is perfectly cast i'm very excited to see this in fact one of the um survivors isn't the right word because everybody survived passengers just did an ama on reddit a couple of days ago which was oh, really interesting oh, yeah wow. and said that it was i mean you guys go and read it i think it's fascinating but she said that everybody was really not chill, but there was no pushing, there was no shouting, there was no shoving, which is extraordinary, really. Um, so yeah, I, I go read that, and um, I'm excited to see this movie. Yeah, absolutely, me too. It looks plus Clint Eastwood has a history of making amazing movies, so I'm very, very curious about it. It's funny because at the same conference I just mentioned earlier, there was also a person that does risk management. So not especially for airlines, but risk management in general. He's a doctor, and was in. He also goes in, you know, missions when there's accidents on the highways and what you're supposed to do. And oh, one wow. of his and in his talking was talking about, you know, how you how do you evacuate a plane? You know, how do you make these decisions in a very highly stressed environment? And he said. Funnily enough, about that uh, miracle on the Hudson, that there was a lot of stuff that also worked for the miracle, as in, for instance, there was no barge on the Hudson yeah. when he was attempting to. You know, the, the, I mean, there's always his point where there's always a part of luck that you cannot uh, compute before it actually something like that happens. Yeah, it's so, very it's, clear it's a, that the universe wanted them to uh, to make that landing. That remain, reminds me uh, of something. Uh, it was a few, like a week ago or something. You remember there was that fire? Was it on Singapore Airlines? Or which yeah, airline yeah, was it? Yeah, the, the engine. Somebody took a, a video on it. It was all around social media, obviously. I want to ask you about that. So there was this guy that takes a picture of the engine fire. It didn't seem that you have an evacuation. Yeah, they came out fire the stairs. I still haven't figured out... What happened here? I mean, there was some very dramatic footage of this of this wing and engine and clearly on fire. And we saw how quickly that can turn bad with the BA flight in Vegas. But uh, there was no evacuation via the slides or anything. So I don't know. I don't know. Clearly, the captain knew something that we didn't know because we didn't know. Yeah, everybody was everybody was fine. No one, no one was. Was yeah, no one was hurt. Yeah, exactly. It was just that my first thought was, why not evacuating, right? Because I would be the, the mess. I mean, it looks like, again, it's one footage. It looks like from that footage that the fire was pretty big. It's not like a small fire. It's really something pretty impressive. Anyway, we'll learn more at some point, but I wanted to ask you of your opinion. Uh, something that we've been talking over and over and over, including in the last episode, is the uh, problems with drones. The FAA in the U.S. has finally released its rules for drones. You have, of course, now to register as a pilot of a drone. But it's nice that you have actually now proper and understandable rules about what to do when you have a drone. And everybody seems to be happy with this as well. Yes. This is seems to be one of the least contentious FAA rule uh, applications that I've ever, I've ever read about. And I think what's really exciting is that 
you know, Amazon and Google and a bunch of other people came out and said, we're going to use drones to deliver last mile stuff. And mm -hmm. we all thought, yeah, that's really cool, but it's never going to happen. The FAA is never going to allow this. <laughs> and they just did. They just yeah, they did. They just, said, yeah, absolutely. For non-hobby purposes, you can carry up to 50 pounds, or maybe that's the gross weight. I don't know. 50 pounds, that's a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. As long as you don't go higher than 400 feet and the pilot, and this is the one that I'm most interested about how they're going to solve this. The pilot must have line of sight vision the whole way. The whole way, exactly. I don't really yeah. understand how that's going to work, but the Airline Pilots Association was happy with this, and they're never happy about anything, um, <laughs> because their concern, and it is, of course, a hugely legitimate concern, is they wanted regulation so that there was no issue with these things getting in the way of airliners. Yeah. Exactly. So they have to adhere to this, you know, the airspace regulations that anybody else putting something in the air would have to adhere to. So it's very exciting. And I think it opens up a huge industry as well. And uh, now it's basically going to be an arms race. Uh, we'll see what happens in Europe. Uh, I've seen that it's not airline related, uh, but I've seen that there will be robots to deliver your you know, food delivery in London. So maybe at some point, somebody will come up with a drone system as well. We'll hey, see. You know what? That would be great. <laughs> You'd be so happy. You'd, you'd choose that option of delivery just because just you want so to see Just so I can have a, a robot come to my house. Yeah, <laughs> of course. The other big thing that happened that everybody, of course, has been talking about uh, during these three weeks of interruption of uh, us recording is Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the uh, UK has voted to uh, go out of the European Union. Uh, we're not going to go into the whole details of what will happen. There's a lot of uncertainty. Since it's a show about airlines and aviation, there's a few changes that might happen. We still don't know. But uh, I, I know that we, I, none of us were very happy about the results, obviously. But now there's uncertainty what will happen. Uh, EasyJet, BA, Ryanair. I mean, Ryanair is based in, in, in Ireland. But... What will happen for the British traveler, for you and me, for the industry? It's very hard to to understand the it consequences. It is. And I think, you know, I, I have shares in EasyJet because I think I'm a fan of their leadership and I, I, I like what they do and I like the product. But their stock got absolutely spanked hammered. over the last, well, since Brexit, basically. It has just been, oh, my, it's one of the top 10 FTSE losers since Brexit happened. And... Even though they've had a very robust and public plan in place for this, they put it out ahead of time and said, you know, if it happens, we're going to explore this option and that option. They've been lobbying the regulators to make sure that if they remain in the UK, that they have access to a fully kind of deregulated market in, in the EU. But they've also said that they are seriously considering moving their headquarters to somewhere in the EU. Yeah. And also getting operator certificates for those countries as well. So I think that uncertainty is what's pummeled the stock. But I think ultimately they will be fine. Yeah, I think, you know, for instance, uh, Switzerland is not part of the EU. It's part, it has agreements, bilateral agreements with the EU. That means they are included in the kind of open skies, if you want, agreements with the EU. So this is basically the big thing for the airlines is now... BA uh, said, AAG, sorry, the, the parents company of BA said that for the moment, they are confident that something will come out. Thus, they are not looking into relocation, not looking into, you know, slashing jobs, etc. Mm. EasyJet said, on the contrary, said, like you hinted at, that for the moment, they're holding all investments in the UK. Uh, the rumors are that they are, of course, looking at either 
changing their HQ location or at least having another operation set up within the EU to get it, that, uh, that license uh, to be able to continue. For the British people, it might mean, uh, we don't know yet, as in for a traveler, it might mean that a slightly less competition, meaning slightly um, more expensive ticket prices. Yeah. There's been also the IATA came out saying that there might be a chance that the passenger traffic will decline by up to 5% by 2020. Uh, again, these are just, you know, predictions and forecasts. We still don't know what's going to happen. And I think this is the big thing. Everything is uncertain. Uh, Ryanair, as I just said, are actually in Ireland, but we know that they have big operations in the UK. What will happen, they will also probably lobby because they still need that market, as in they still need the UK for their uh, bottom line. So they probably will lobby for uh, an agreement to stay in. This is not, you know, the process hasn't even started. This is something that will take at least two to three to four years. So we don't know what's going to happen. For the moment, guys, don't worry. You can still come to the UK or travel from the UK as before. We're still part of the EU until that point in time at some point. So we'll continue monitoring it. But uh, it's true that for us living here, it's not uh, very not clear ideal. what's going to yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah and it, you know, I think it, it, it put a lot of unanswered questions beyond just the airline industry of things like, you know, mobile roaming charges. Correct. We, you know, there's a there's an EU-wide restriction or cap on, on fees for that. And yeah. if we're outside of the EU, we won't get that. I mean... It's it's a problem for the UK and not not Europe, and it will be very interesting to see what actually happens. But you can understand why all of these airlines and all of the trade organizations and associations have put a lot of time and energy into this, and 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 started off their processes as soon as the vote result came yeah. out. Because moving an airline the size of EasyJet or Ryanair or some of the BA subsidiaries or IHGs, that's not a small thing. No, a lot of the big companies in the UK already had contingency plans. You know, the big financial firms, obviously, the consulting firms. KPMG just named the head of Brexit. Uh, somebody is just going to head that wow. project. They already had like contingency plans. Should we move out, etc.? So again, we, we don't know what's going to happen, but there are going to probably be some changes. One of the big ones is, <laughs> sadly. The, apparently, the third runway at Heathrow is still pushed back. It's said, okay, we don't know, so let's just push it back. Yeah, you know, nobody wants to take ownership of that. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it just keeps going and going and going. You know, to the point that I, I was feeling like, you know, since you know David Cameron, our prime minister, uh, resigned, he should have said, okay, let's build the third runway, and I'm resigning, because that's a hot potato nobody <laughs> wants to take. <laughs> he should have just said... <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, uh, thinking about since I was a third runway, the other option is to have, of course, a second runway at Gatwick. It was at Gatwick. I took a holiday. I went to the south of Italy, Bari, BRI, that's the airport with EasyJet, all aircraft, so the old seats. But honestly, like you, big fan. It was a fantastic flight both ways in terms of the product. The people are great. I was in emergency exits. I really like that they moved away from, you know, free seats for all and have like number seats. Yeah, me too, me too. The the stress level upon embarking has totally changed because you don't really care now. You don't have to rush. Of course, there's a little bit of the overhead problem, but usually that's solved. At least you have your seat and you don't have to think twice about it. Uh, For those who want to fly, who've never flown EasyJet, you have to pay a little extra for either the first row, uh, number one, or the emergency exits. Usually there are two in the... uh, 
uh, Airbus 320s that they, they do have. The one thing that didn't really work was a Gatwick. I, I called them actually, and it was not very nice. LGW is their airport code, long grueling wait. Uh, because, <laughs> because on the way out, uh, we, we were boarding, the plane was late. It happens a lot with these very short uh, haul things in Europe that I was, I was not upset, whatever. But we are in the plane and suddenly we start sitting and sitting and nothing happens. What we learned is that the old luggage system at, at Gatwick had broken down. Uh, so they had to make every single person out of the planes to physically ID their luggage to be sure that they were matching the people in the plane, which is a normal safety reason. That took, you know, like an hour. Then we had to, we lost our, our slots. So we waited an hour, an hour and a half on the, actually next to the runway in the middle of nowhere. Oh my God. Uh, anyway, on the way back, uh, because that's, you know, that happens. But on the way back was a bit more infuriating because we land actually on time, 20 minutes late, which is nothing. And then the, the captain comes on the PA and says, well, we just learned that uh, Gatwick is understaffed, so they cannot provide us with uh, stairs or a, a jet bridge or anything. So we have to wait. We ended up waiting almost an hour. And you're like, what? What do you mean? Understand? <laughs> anyway, uh, but to redeem Gatwick because I still like the airport. The thing is, I was really impressed. You know, they've now so it was a North Terminal, which is where EasyJet flies from. Everything is becoming electronic. So you have. Electronic gates, when you want to, uh, instead of showing your boarding pass to someone, you just swipe it, a door opens, and then you get into the security area. Security area, for me, is probably one of the best I've seen. It's yes. super efficient, We've, large. So you were at the South Terminal? North. North, north Terminal. North. Yeah. It's... it's so good. Super fast. Yeah, it's very good, efficient. It's very well, also, you know, the design of the entire area, unlike, for instance, T5 at Heathrow and other airports around the world, it makes, it's it's roomy. So, you know, there's people per hour, it goes very, very fast because as soon as you get through, you can take your box and go somewhere else. You can put your belt back on or something so you're not blocking the queue. Everything is super efficient. And then again at the gate, Again, new electronic doors. All these are very new. Electronic doors again. You swipe again your, your barcode and the door opens and you're going to uh, your plane. So this is for me the airport of the future. I even spotted, I didn't check in any luggage, but I even spotted that the EasyJet check-in counters now have these automated luggage check-ins when you basically there's a robot. You put your uh, same thing, your boarding pass, you put your luggage and you get these, you know, the tag, you put the tag yourself and it gets through. Honestly, because that's that the airport. Was the, of- that was always the bottleneck, wasn't it? Because, yeah, yeah, online check-in's great, but if you still have to drop bags, then you still have to queue and deal with a person. It's just, you might as well have just checked in, but, and they finally have cracked that. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Gatwick. I think it's a great airport, and yeah, I think they're going through some growing pains. I, I definitely think they deserve a second runway as, as well, yeah, so. As well, yeah, as well. Actually, I think we should be building both, but in, in terms of the pure experience as a passenger, especially for low cost, but you could also apply not for all cost. The fact that it's everything is automated makes it for a great experience. It was really super, super fast. And again, you know, this for, for once I had like no lounge access, no status or whatever. So I mean typically regular passenger, since everything is automated, you're going very, very quickly to your uh, gate. And that's fantastic. Uh, I think a lot of airports should learn about uh, how Gatwick is doing that. Um Solar Impulse, we mentioned them a few times. They've just crossed the Atlantic. And this morning, we're recording on uh, July 11th on a Monday. Uh, They just started their journey uh, to Cairo, which is the pre-to-last leg of their journey before reaching Abu Dhabi. That's still amazing. Yeah, it really is. And there's a. they just posted something uh, about 
six hours ago, this stunning video of the of it taking off at night, or I guess early morning from early morning. Sevilla to, to, to Cairo. It's a really breathtaking video of these sort of this line of lights coming towards you and then and then taking off. It's it's just an extraordinary feat what these guys have accomplished. Talking about uh, solar energy, I mean, we always wanted to do an episode. We were talking about more about this. We we will do it one day. But there was a, a news uh, which an airport I know, Kochi. It's in uh, India, south of India. Uh, I flew there in 2013, and very interestingly, so uh, it's the first ever airport to be completely solar powered. So they're it's independently. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. So they, they they started actually putting the panels three years ago. So probably at the time I was flying from there. And now the entire airport is completely self-sufficient. And that's pretty amazing when it you think really about is. it. Of course, probably it only applies to airports that have a lot of sunlight. Probably that doesn't apply for the UK, maybe. <laughs> but probably, I don't know, in Australia and maybe South Africa, there are many parts of the world where that could actually work. That's a very good feat. So congrats to them, actually. So yeah, very, uh, it really is. I hope there's some, uh, we can... Places like most of the places in the Western United States should have be able to yes, do this. I agree. Back to a plane, solar planes. It's not entirely a plane. It's not commercial aviation, but Boeing has released as well its own solar power plane. But that's for replacing satellites. Yeah, this is interesting. And it's something that I know that, that people like Facebook and Google have also been really interested in. And yeah, as you say, it's it's not for... Anything other than to replace satellites, because satellites are obviously hugely expensive to manufacture and, of course, get into orbit. But these planes are are relatively cheap, and they can they can stay in a fixed position relative to the surface of the Earth, and so they can mimic the function of a, of a satellite, as well as being at the same height, which is awesome. But they can basically stay aloft, so they claim forever, and just keep circling and they're very funny looking airplane this is a patent that boeing have submitted and i think been granted and you know they they, they're very efficient they've got really really efficient solar arrays what i don't understand is if they need maintenance or anything like that i assume they just land them and then relaunch them and then the cost is amortized over the length of the next or the following following flights but they seem confident that in terms of efficiency these could stay up forever yeah, Pretty amazing. And, but when you think about it, if you have to replace uh, something in a satellite, or even simply to because there's damage, you need to make any maintenance. It's a pain in the ass to do that. If you can just make that thing land back, change whatever you need, and put it back up yeah, there, exactly. it changes the economics of of this. It's completely different. So it's 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 something. Although I don't think we'll we'll see in our lifetimes uh, an Airbus three hundred and twenty solar power. No. This is these are, these are great little things that you know we're going towards the direction of better energy efficiency for airplanes as well. So it's it's great news, uh, it's, and it's a, it's a great human feat to be able to yeah, do that. Absolutely. The other thing that's also interesting is still in the U.S. is NASA, so the, the space agency of the United States, has partnered with American Airlines on something very, very, I think, very smart. They are, they will share information on, you know, when you are in the flight deck. I mean, probably um, neither Alex and myself are pilots. Probably most of the people who are listening to us are not pilots either. But, you know, there's a, we call that the normalization of deviance, meaning that you get so used to how to use all these panels, electronic panels in front of you, that sometimes it leads to human error. Because yeah. when you, there was a big story about Air France, I think 447, when it crashed uh, from Rio to Paris, part of, of why the crash happened was the, the pilots were a bit 
unsure about what was really happening because all the little devices were telling different stories and the yoke was, since it's purely electronic, didn't have like the feeling of is the plane going up or down. And this is exactly what basically they will teach each other. They will look at, you know, how are pilots, how are the crew reacting to different inputs and outputs on on flight decks and learn from both sides what, you know, what NASA has learned, what AA has learned. I think it's, it's, it's an interesting joint venture here. It is. I, I always wonder about things like this, that maybe it should be done at the manufacturer level and not at the airline yes. level. Probably or at least I is. hope American Airlines will will share whatever learnings come out of this, or NASA will share whatever learnings come out of this, because this is safety. It's not about experience improvement or competitive advantage. But probably because NASA is publicly funded, so probably a lot of it will be open. I don't know. We'll see. But it's interesting that they're thinking about it. Yeah. The other thing that's happening and still talking in the US, but back to the UK, is Farnborough, the big trade show, uh, aviation trade show, just opened today, actually, in the UK. We're not going because I'm flying to, to this afternoon and Alex is flying tomorrow morning. We'll cover a lot of the news that's being talked there, obviously, in the next episode. But I wanted to just say something. It's happy birthday to Boeing. They're yeah. 100 years old. And they have, uh, if you are going to Farnborough, if you're lucky to be there, you should visit their stand. They have a whole stand with their centennial. So they offer a lot of history, what happened in the last hundred years. You should do that. We'll cover Farnborough in the next episodes. Still talking about Boeing, something that warms our hearts. The 747 program seems to be saved or at least gets a little bit more lifetime. Again, again, this is so exciting. They had a, well, relatively huge deal, $4 billion from uh, Airbridge Cargo, which is a Russian cargo airline, and they have ordered 10 747-800s or 747-8. So this is just great news. I'm so happy about this. But that's a freighter version, That's a freighter version, yeah, which... I don't know how I feel about it. It's 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 great that the 747 line is carrying on, but I want people to be in it. <laughs> and if you want people to be in it, we mentioned last episode that Boeing and Iran were looking at making a deal to sell aircrafts. It's possible yep. that the 748 might be in that deal. So yep, maybe that's we'll, a good point. That's a good point because it's a we'll, huge deal. We'll have to fly to Iran to fly it. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> we both would like to do that. Uh, so between the US and Europe, there's obviously an, the Open Skies Agreement that allows you know a freedom of flying between the two. Uh, we've seen there have been some hiccups. Norwegian comes to mind. Uh, it's been seemingly blocked forever uh, in the US. The uh, Actually, there the... Uh, what's his name again? He's the <laughs> European Commission's Director General for Mobility and Transport. Thank you. You see, you're so much smarter than me, Alex. <laughs> so he came up saying that this agreement should go even further than it currently is. Yeah, he, he went to D.C., Washington, D.C., and and went to the International Aviation Club, which is where so many of these great events and speeches happen. And he basically said, come on, this this if we were going to do open skies, let's do it properly. Stop the protectionist nonsense. He didn't say that, but he was kind of saying that. <laughs> yes, yes. But he said, look, you know, let's make this a real thing. Let's see how, how well we can do this. Because if we don't, we're going to really get hurt by the other regions who are embracing true open skies like the Middle East and Asia. And 
you know, they're even talking about removing airline ownership caps, permitting cabotage, which is in, which would be amazing if that were to happen. But of course, they're going to get yeah. fierce resistance from from any of the U.S. carriers or a lot of the U.S. carriers on this. But I'm glad that they're they're being frank about this and saying if we don't do this, you might gain in the short term, but we will all lose in the long term. So let's at least start the conversation about that. And he said, you know, and he did, he put it right in front of the big carriers and said, the barriers that, that exist in the U.S. market are no longer relevant in a global economy. Now that the U.S. majors are consolidated, profitable, and controlling 80% of the U.S. domestic market, what are you guys so worried about? Mm-hmm. I mean, to, I to, to quote him, he said, what are these powerful and competitive airlines so worried about? And to you, sir, I say bravo. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have been in that audience and seen the faces of some of the, the big U.S. airlines. Alex and myself would have done a standing ovation for that one. Yeah. Uh, now, it's true. It, it, it is true. We'll come to in a few minutes about uh, our old lifelong story of this show layovers about uh, the U.S. three versus the Middle Eastern line, but in that particular situation between Europe and, and the US, which it's true, it should be opening more. It will lead, I mean, every time it opens more, it's better for the passengers, it's better for the competition. We get better deals over time. So I think there's just, you know, the American airlines, they are solid and good airlines. Yeah, yeah, so there's no doubt about that. They, they will be able to compete with the Lufthansa's, the Air France, the KLM's, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's no way they should actually. Uh, and to repeat what I always said, they are doing that in Asia. They fly from Tokyo to you know Manila, and they are basically already doing cabotage. They already are doing stuff that they're resisting on the other side. So yeah. they, they, I hope we going will go in that direction. Although we probably will see a lot of uh, resistance, as, as you as you just hinted at. Uh, b- before we go to the to the Middle East again, uh, I want to congratulate our Serbia. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was in Montenegro. I mentioned that story, and I met the community manager for our Serbia. She's called Anna Maria. She's really cool. We had a great fun talking about aircraft. She's also an airplane geek. Uh, so hi to you. And she was telling me back then that oh, Air Serbia is about to launch routes to the US. It's the first time because oh, Air wow. Serbia is a, it's a newer uh, carrier because the traditional flag carrier got uh, was uh, I think got bankrupted. So Air Serbia is a new one. So and they just did that. They just went to the US. She was able to fly there. I think I've seen picture of her in on her Facebook page, which is in I think in business class and flying there. So that's really cool. With it's it's an A330. The, the interesting bit though in that story, uh, because otherwise we, we cannot always name the new airlines that launch new routes every every show. The interesting bit is that the backstory is that Air Serbia is actually partially owned by AT. And we know that Etihad is investing in a lot of different airlines around the world, including in Europe. That's their way of growing. And uh, the very interesting bit about that particular route is that, okay, Air Serbia wanted to do it. It's a bit of a gamble for them. So the Airbus A330 actually belongs to Jet Airways, which is another airline that uh, Etihad actually has invested in. The pilots of that same Air Serbia plane that went to the US were trained by Alitalia, which is another airline where Etihad uh-huh. invested. The cabin crew itself of that flight to went to the US was trained in Abu Dhabi by Etihad itself. So you can really see that Etihad is 
using all these different resources to pull through and to create that new flight. That I find very interesting as a backstory. Yeah, that is well, it shows how that whole relationship is starting to come to fruition. Yes, for them. Yeah. So uh, anyway, congrats to Serbia. I promised the Namakia I would fly them uh, one of these days. So I'll find an excuse to go to Belgrade and or find a great deal to go from uh, Belgrade to the US. And I'll be very happy to, to try their product. Uh, so go. let's go to that <laughs> story. Th- th- that was a story that I think occupied us for the first 25 episodes of this show. It was the big debate between the major uh, U.S. airlines versus the three major Middle Eastern airlines. I- we're not going to go back to the story, but it seems, it seems, Alex, and we're pretty happy about that, that... It's dying out. Yeah, this it's kind of anticlimactic, isn't it? I was expect, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I was expecting like this huge, you know, street fight between, <laughs> the, you know, between between the 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 ME three and the big U.S. carriers. But basically, the the U.S. State Department has kind of said, "Yeah, not not this isn't a thing. Stop whinging." Um, <laughs> and it's like it's. It's very, very surprising to me that 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 it didn't go further than this. It's it's you know even the even the the the, the folks who are lobbying against the ME three have come out and said we appreciate how seriously the government has taken this these discussions as you know and not said this is wrong and we're going to keep fighting and blah blah blah. So it sounds almost like they're admitting defeat. Yeah, so the story is that the U.S. State Department will not seek consultations with the governments of uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, Dubai, and uh, Qatar, which means because they would have done, they would have had to do that if they were really going into a fight. But since they're saying, well, you know what, we're not going to talk to them, it means that well, this is dying out. I'm not still sure that we haven't heard the last of it. Yeah. (laughs) We've seen the last episode, the story about the petty games between Delta uh, and uh, Qatar. So probably we'll hear more of these little stories. But it's true as well that we haven't heard a lot about this story in the past. I mean, I said, again, I said 25 episodes on it. And since then, a few tidbits, but not as much as it used to be. And you know what's funny is that while the the big three in the U.S. have been focused on trying to fight this in the courts, the ME3 have slowly been, well, not slowly, rapidly been expanded expanding in the US. Yeah. They've been launching city after city after city. So, I mean, that battle has been lost or won yeah. depending on which side you're on. If you want to fly one of the ME3, know that both Etihad and Qatar Airways are currently running very good promo deals both in economy and in business class. If you go to all their websites online, you're going to find them. Uh, it's a good time to fly them if you want to test them if you've never flown them. Yeah. Uh, the other big news <laughs> that, uh, that was not expected uh, was that the ex-CEO of uh, Aer Lingus, who became then the CEO, a short-term <laughs> CEO of Malaysian Airlines, Christoph Müller, is going to Emirates. Yeah, this is, a, wow, this is quite a story. I mean, we, we, we talked about him leaving Malaysian Malaysia personal Airlines reasons, for per, yeah, quote unquote personal reasons, uh, a while ago, and uh, we all speculated as to the to the reason for that. And you know, let's be, you know, he did a lot at Malaysian. Yeah. He did, a, got a lot done. And he he kind of righted a troubled carrier, and they turned a profit, the first monthly profit they've turned in in years and years and years. But he table flipped essentially and said, I'm out of here in April, less than a year into his contract and said, cited personal reasons. Um, And he's now surfaced as coming on board as a Emirates executive. And I think it's sort of chief transformation officer officer. is his title. And so there's, uh, there's now a lot of people saying, well, this totally makes sense. Tim Clark is 
And his the hair, the late, hair to the throne. Yeah, exactly. The the yeah, the, he's the heir to the throne. Tim Clark's sixty-six years old. Christoph Muller's uh, forty-seven, f- I think. 50, 50? F- fifty, something. Early, yeah. early fifties at the most. And then he's a natural heir to Neither. the throne. But there's rumors, and that's all they are, is that the personal reasons were that Christoph Muller was fed up with the corruption at Malaysian and the reintroduction of a 747 to the fleet was the last straw because no one consulted him about it. Yeah. Um, and he just there said, was a lot of, uh, I think there was a lot of uh, intervention, yeah. behind the scenes intervention by the state in Malaysia. And he was like, okay, am I running this airline or am I not? Yeah. And I think, you know, he, he for uh, whatever reason, decided that he couldn't be as effective here as he might be elsewhere and decided to leave. So what a great catch for, for Emirates. Yeah, an amazing catch. And you know, as I told you on, on Messenger when that happened, pretty sure that's a hair through the throne. Pretty sure. Oh, yeah. In the, within the next five years, he'll be named CEO or on the route to being CEO because he's a great person. He's really the man for the job. So yeah, it will absolutely. be very interesting. Especially in a phase, if you remember, we said in the last episode that Tim Clark was saying it's the end of the good old days. Christoph Miller is the perfect CEO to get into that transitional period of so for Emirates. Uh, let's go for premium economy. Let's change a model to a less plush one for something that sets us for the next hundred years. So yep. that's really something that, uh, that we'll have, keep an eye on. Talking about Emirates and showing that I don't always follow what Emirates is doing, that I've been traveling a lot and I missed the news because that news is from actually, I think, April. Emirates has actually released its new 777 business seats. Uh, so you flew it, uh, I think, once. I flew it many, many, many times. There are several versions of that seats because, as we said uh, many times, Emirates keeps iterating within the same design over and over and over. Yeah. But this is, this is a change. It's not a radical change, as in it's not the privacy laden seat that you see on the 380, but it's a big evolution. Since the 777 cannot really fit that model of A380, because it's not as wide, they kept the model of 232 configuration in the business class cabin, yep. but they've added some features that make it a little bit more private. Of course, the screens are big. This is a little more luxurious. They've added a lot of, and this is always something that I like about Emirates, they've added a lot of little features where to stack your stuff, you know, a little, you know, stuff for the bottles on the side and little pockets on the side. And, and it's a very nice seat. I'm looking forward to being able to try it. Yeah, it looks good. It looks good. I'm, I don't think they can do anything wrong. I love their business class product. But, I mean, I, I know the 7771, as you said, isn't as spectacular as the 380, but it's still a damn good product. And this one is a truly lie flat yes. seat yeah. because the, the previous one was lie flat, but still slightly angled. So you were still, you know, going forward as uh, as you were sleeping. This one is a truly lie flat seat. And it takes, I think, from what I've read, the exact same space as the previous seat. So they, they're not reducing the number of seats and not augmenting them. It's just, we won't notice a lot of difference in the layout, but the seat will be much better if you ever fly business class on Emirates. Another story, uh, see, we're doing a lot of follow-ups in this episode. We were both a little bit unsure about whether or not it was true. There was uh, Cyprus Airways uh, was declared bankrupt because they were using a lot of state aid that were declared illegal by the European Union. And there are some stories surfaced about a new airline coming from Cyprus with them, some very prestigious executives. And we're not sure if that will never happen. But apparently, unbeknownst to us, they have the operator license and are starting their routes. Yeah, I... I think we talked about this in one of our very, very first episodes. Correct. And yeah, Cobalt, um, based in Larnaca, kind of picked up the flag from 
from Cypress Airways, as you said, went out of business. But they, were, they stumbled and there were some... There was some question marks over their uh, AOC application, but yeah, out of nowhere, they've had a launch party and they they're going to start flying imminently. Good for them! Yeah. Congratulations! Congratulations! They're going to fly to Greece. Obviously, there's always lots of links between Greece and Cyprus, but to the UK as well, and I think even uh, Ireland, Ireland, Dublin. yeah, Dublin. Uh, so they, most of the flights will start throughout the summer and after in the fall. Uh, but they have 320s, 390s, and 321s, I think. I haven't checked. Congrats! And, you know, I've, I used to live in Cyprus for a very short while. I, I don't go there very often. But if I get the chance, I will. I want to try. I always like to try new airlines. So I will try Cobalt. I don't know what their sign call is. You know, uh, I was just sign. trying to figure that out. Apparently, they've been flying since June 1st. Oh, so they already started. Yeah, yeah I want to... I wanna... I want to see. I want to see if they have any planes in the air. So, uh, yeah, C- congratulations. If you're listening and you've flown on them, tell us. Yes. Uh, I'm leaving later today to fly to Geneva, as I always do. My father lives there. I'm going to take a Swiss. I'm going to tell the story of how I get back in the next episode because that's a bit quirky. Uh, but for now, <laughs> Alex is, of course, laughing because he knows. But uh, for now, uh, finally, uh, Swiss has received his Bombardier C-Series, the new Bombardier. So Bombardier Exciting. was able to deliver it because it was all these stories of Bombardier being on the cusp of bankruptcy and not being able to deliver the planes. And then kind of United saved them by you know buying a lot of aircraft at a very de- heavily discounted price. So Swiss, as their first one... Uh, it flew uh, a month ago uh, without the Swiss livery, without the Swiss seats. Uh, people were able to try it. Now the Swiss one is there. The pictures from inside are pretty, pretty amazing. It looks like a fantastic aircraft. And we said that at the top of the show. The windows look really big, which is really something nice. The other thing is that what I found really clever, again, I've not been in there, I must try it, but in economy class, the seats are new Zim seats. Zim is one of the uh, manufacturers of seats. Uh, the seats, you know, the, the backbone of uh, the economy seat usually relies on, on the two sides, the left and right of your, of your back, basically, of when the, the seats reclines. On these ones, there's a single backbone in the middle, which means that for the person behind, when you have your knees, there's more space. Yeah. And this is super clever. Very clever, very clever. Yeah, it's a. They've done a lot of things that make they're small. They seem like small things, but they'll improve the passenger experience substantially. And I think that's one of them. Those big, big, beautiful windows for such a small plane are also really, really impressive as well. And it's an aircraft that Bombardier says it's done. It's pretty long range. I mean, it's not, of course, a, you know, it's not an A three eighty, but it's a pretty long range. But it's able to uh, take off from very short runways, which obviously for Swiss would mean uh, LCY, so city airport, for instance. It can go from, you know, runways at only 5,000 feet. So, yeah, you'll see a lot of these things at London City. And it looks amazing from the outside as well. A little baby Dreamliner. (laughs) (laughs) Again, last episode you said that about the Embraer E2. Yeah, both of them. It's that nose, I think. I think it's it's the asymmetrical nose. I'm very looking forward to fly it. I've already contacted Swiss. I says, who are the next routes? Uh, they'll be announcing the routes very, very quickly. So uh, they'll be mostly European routes, I think. Of course, LCY, we live in London, so probably that will be something. I usually don't fly from from Lucy, but I will probably change my airport just for that. Yes, it's uh, worth it. T- talking about another airline, I- I've met, I was in a conference in Munich uh, as well, uh, and I've met... The uh, Carrie and Michael. So Carrie, she's the head of marketing for Air New Zealand. Michael is the head of innovation for Air New Zealand. We had so much fun together. Cool. Uh, 
When you talk with people that are executives and that are behind the scenes and you talk about uh, some of the stuff they do, you know, Air New Zealand is this only airline that has this very peculiar bed in coach. You have three seats, uh, a row of three seats, and then there's a, a little added a padded uh, part of the seat that goes up and it creates like a bed. And I've asked them, I said, guys, are, you, are those actually selling? And they're like, yeah. Because, you know, we fly from from New Zealand. It's far from everything. So people want, you know, some comfort, especially families. When you have, like you, Alex, you might have a kid with you. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that they're, that they're selling. It's a neat idea. They told me, you should fly with us. Uh, so I said, you know, I, I got to find an excuse to go to Auckland. But they also have a route from London to L.A. Yes, they do. Yeah. Be, and uh, they are on Star Alliance, so it's something that I could actually uh, envision. I also met, I mean, I forgot his name now. Uh, I should have noted it before we started the show. Uh, he's the representative in the UK of Air New Zealand. And since I told that story about Air New Zealand, how much because they have the best libraries as well. You know, the, the, yeah. all these ones with The Hobbit. and So cool. Lord of the Rings. He also offered me the little cardboard thing of Air New Zealand, when then you can put on your eyes, you put your phone and you have the uh, virtual reality experience. Nice. So there are a good, good bunch of people. So guys, I will, I will definitely fly with you. It was really funny because at the same conference with a lot of our, our other airlines, uh, Qatar was there, Etihad was there, Finair was there, Lufthansa, PA. And since they were listening to me talking to all the other airlines, they were one-upping each other. So then Finair <laughs> told, you like, you like the 350. I mean, we're the only ones in Europe with the 350. So you should come to Helsinki and fly with us. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take you. you there know, you go. Yeah, the, you have to get them the. Every single one of you. I haven't forgotten what you told me that day. I will fly with you <laughs> and I will, I will contact you to say, can I get upgraded, please? Anyway, uh, <laughs> to, less, uh, to, to cap the show, we have a few more news uh, because we have to get to these less happy news. First, the Egypt Air one. Uh, in- very interesting because... As we said, when it happened, when that plane crashed, of course, there were a lot of speculation. And since then, we don't know the entire story, but it's a bit clearer now. Yeah, it does look like it's... Well, they've been able to get some of the data off both the voice recorder and the data recorder. But it seems like there was an attempt to put out a fire, which is consistent with some of the data that was sent back via the ACARS computer on the day that it crashed. So what we still don't know is what caused the fire, whether it was mechanical or something a little bit more nefarious. But it's interesting to see that consistency. They have recovered both black boxes, which is good news. And so I think where the discrepancy lies is the fact that there was no mayday call, no distress call, no transponder change, no broadcast frequency change. And if there's a major fire, you can understand why that they would be preoccupied with that. And, you know, a fire in the flight deck or near the flight deck has been the cause of crashes in the past. So, you know, well, there's still many, many, you know, questions remaining here, but I'm glad that they're slowly chipping away at this. And I repeat that, that I said earlier, I mean, all the speculation, all the so-called experts that just go on Twitter after a crash, please, you know, wait. Yeah, uh, we they're doing stuff their jobs. The other very sad news that happened was at Istanbul airport, uh, there was a terror attack, basically, yeah. three bombers. I mean, you know what? It's also, it feels, I, 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 I fly them quite often is maybe an overstatement, but I fly them maybe four or five times a year. It seems very close to home because I, you know, I looked at the footage, you know, that I wanted to look, but it was all over the news. Yeah. And I recognize these places where I, you know, when I connect through different gates and you're like, my God, it's, uh, wow, I don't know. 
the, the thing is, it reminds me to the other sad story, of course, what happened in Brussels a few yeah. months ago, and it, the same discussion will happen. And you know what? We said that back then for, for Brussels. Brussels, you know, you're able to go up to security. At Istanbul Ataturk Airport, there is a first security, like we a lot of countries have. Yeah. And still, even though there was this first security, because there were multiple bombers, it created chaos in one of them where it was able to enter the, the airside area. So again, you, you can add as many layers of security at some point. I don't know. Yeah, don't know it's, not gonna, it's not going to do anything. And I think, yeah, I mean, it was well coordinated in the fact that they knew that there would be that layer of security at the at the curbside. And they, they hit that and distracted the, uh, the authorities while the other two kind of... Uh, infiltrated the rest of the airport. So yeah, it, it's sad um, that they were able to reopen an airport operation so quickly is staggering. Yeah, and it, uh, kudos to them for that because uh, it's really like it was like going to go forward. Well, I understand it's a big airport, it's overcrowded. I mean, uh, because it's over capacity, they're building the new one. Uh, it was going to be ready in, in two years, but kudos to them for having gone through it and said, okay, we, we need to mourn, but at the same time, we need to keep going. Uh, I don't, I mean, we don't have any more to say, but I mean, it's uh, really sad because it seems to be happening more than it was happening a few years ago for yeah. some reason. And it's a bit scary. Like, you know, uh, I mean, I'm not going to stop flying to Istanbul because of that, but it's true that it makes you think twice sometimes, sadly. Yeah, it does. It's, which it's heartbreaking, really. So to cap off this show, uh, more a uh, little quirky, quirky news. There was an article that made around a lot of friends of mine were uh, completely in utter shock and disgust. It was an article in the Telegraph about these husbands who fly in business class and they leave their wives and kids in coach. <laughs> do you do that? Oh, do you have any idea what would happen to me if I tried that? <laughs> what do you think of the article? I don't even understand why you would write. Like, if unless you're trolling, like, I don't. I don't understand why. I don't, still, does anybody really do this? But apparently, yes. So apparently, you know, imagine you're you're working corporate, you fly all around the world for work. So you have all the perks, you know, you have your card and your status and your miles and whatever. So when you get to fly on for holidays and you don't want to spend maybe like four tickets of business class, understandably so because they're very expensive, and you're so used to flying with all the perks, you're like, you know what, I'm going to upgrade myself because I have these millions of miles. I still, I honestly, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not justifying it, guys. I'm just saying this is the story of why people like this would do it. Uh, you know, I met uh, the during again during the same conference as was. I met the representative of United in uh, the UK, and he says, of course, one of the perks of working at airlines uh, so close to the executive level, you have some perks for flying. You're standby, and he has the chance to fly business class, but not his family. But what he does. When he gets the business class, he gives it to his wife, and he flies with the kids in the back of the cabin. It's that's yeah, nice. I think that that's probably a better way of doing it <laughs> for so she- uh, for marital harmony, if anything. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, uh, and uh, still talking about that, an article in 1843, which is a magazine from The Economist. It's really funny. I I encourage you to to read it. Uh, And then I discovered the Gold Lounge. It's this whole story that we all have in some ways when you fly a lot. We like, 
you, you're happy to have a status and then you discover there's a yet another status, there's a yet another undiscovered lounge, there's yet another level of, and you want to reach it. And this guy go, seems to go very high and suddenly everything, you know, he stops traveling. So he goes back to the normal level as a catastrophe. It's free, it's a funny read. <laughs> and I, I feel because I know that a lot of people go through that. Uh, so don't get used to the perks, guys. Don't get used to the perks, yeah. you know. <laughs> my, my theory is that every flight I do in my head is the last flight I'll ever do. Because then I say, you know what? If I never get that level of service again, never mind. I would be happy I've done it once in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice way of looking at it. Uh, last but not least, husband Inter, our friend, gave a very nice review on uh, iTunes. Uh, thank you so much for that. Very uh, kind. Five stars. And Paul and Alex rock this All Things Aviation podcast. And we have a lot of passion, apparently. So thank you so much. And guys, please leave us reviews. Yes, please. Apparently... I mean, I, I hate doing that, but apparently it's the only way for our podcast to be discovered by Apple itself and then that they will actually promote it a bit. So if you could leave us nice reviews, even if you're not nice, by the way, guys, just tell us, you know, uh, I know that Marcus, our friend Marcus, tells me that I edit a bit aggressively these past two episodes. So I'll, I'll, I'll be better. I promise you, Marcus, please leave us a review. We'll be very happy uh, with that. And now... You flew to 787 to San Jose. How is San Jose? I've never been there. I don't know that airport. What is it? It's great. Um, for me, it's always been a domestic and regional airport. But in the last few years, they've put a lot of emphasis on attracting international carriers. So BA fly there, obviously, now. Lufthansa fly to Frankfurt every day. ANA and JAL both fly there and have done on and off for years. And uh, Hainan and a couple of other, other Chinese carriers. So they've really attracted... An, an international reach, which is fantastic. For the Silicon Valley, it's the perfect airport because it's right in the heart of downtown San Jose. And it's a very, very popular airport for private aviation. Steve Jobs' planes there, Larry Ellison, Tom Siebel, loads of uh, – on the other side of the airport from the Google. commercial carriers. Google has as well, no? Google, Google has, has some there. They have others at Moffett, Moffett Field just up the road. And I was delighted to find out that this – flight existed. It was a 787-9, which, which was needed in and of itself. But the great thing was, landed and got off the plane and got to immigration, the immigration hall, and it was literally empty. There was not a single soul passenger there. And I walked up to the guy, to the immigration officer, and I was like, this is great. This is like completely different from, from the nightmare of San Francisco immigration. And he chuckled and said, yeah, this flight is perfect. There's no other international flight for hours on either side. It's always like this. And I was like, for me, that is the... And I was in my rental car from, from walking off the airplane in my rental car in 12 minutes. Wow. On the road. Wow. And, you know, for where I was going, which in the East Bay, it was perfect. Because for those of you that know the Bay Area, 880 to 680 to 84, and I'm home. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great little airport. The... Uh, the one thing, and I mentioned this, I think, last time I flew out of San Jose, is security sucks. But that's <laughs> an American airport thing, I think. It took forever, even though I had, uh, quote-unquote, fast pass. You have pre or not? I have pre, but you can't use it on, on international flights. Oh, that's true. Only domestic flights. I think they're going to change that soon, though. But even even being able to go through the... The priority lane, it was still it was still slow, but it wasn't that bad. And it's a nice airy terminal, and the lounge that BA used was good. It was fine. Everything was 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 great. Everybody there was friendly, and you got some. I'll post the video because you get some stunning views 
And you basically do, when you take off, you do a circuit towards London anyway. You do a circuit of the Bay Area to climb above the departing traffic and landing traffic from San Francisco and Oakland. So you get this beautiful tour of the Bay Area before you head towards Sacramento and beyond. So yeah, it's going to be where I fly into from now on. Oh, Even so though all my meetings were in San Francisco. You just sold it to me. I mean, I would do that as well. You know, I don't fly BA, but I would just fly BA. Plus, it's a 787. Actually, that route was just open. It was May. Yeah, May. It's, it's only a, just uh, open. Is, is there a single terminal or is there other There's terminals? There's two terminals, basically right next to each other. Would you do a layover there? Um, yeah, I probably would, actually, because you can jump. If, you're, if you can get out of the airport, then you've got San Jose on your doorstep. And if even if you're a plane spotter, the stuff that you'll see in, yes, it's predominantly Alaska and Southwest and Delta, but you do see some amazing private tra traffic coming and going. And you can look across the airport and there's a great perimeter road. So if you have a car, then you can drive around and see. And the San Jose Earthquakes football stadium is right there. And um, there's a great theme park nearby if you're a roller coaster fan. So, yeah, I, I, I think I would. And of course, you've got the Bay Area at your doorstep if you've got a you know a longer layover. What happened when you saw the Alaska Library? So, <laughs> I have to tell you that you know to to wrap this episode up, the part of the thing I did when I was back in California is I went to Virgin America headquarters and saw some friends. And that I'm not gonna lie, that was very very difficult. Um, but I, it was the first time I'd been there. Uh, in s seven years, I think. And so that, yeah, that was difficult to see what it had, it had become, but also that the, the, the motions were clearly in place to start dismantling everything. So that was tough, but, um, yeah, I, I still am a little bit resentful <laughs> of seeing when I see Alaska, you know, they're, they're a good airline, but they're not my airline. I'm noting one thing, you know, last episode you were an island man, this episode you're in San Jose, you're becoming an expert in going where all the very plush private jets are. Yeah, I, I, that would be, <laughs> if, if only I was going to these places on private jets, that would be, uh, <laughs> that would be the best case scenario. Trust me, one day we'll one have day. our own layovers private jet, a yes. Gulfstream or something, you know, I, I promise you that. So wh where are you flying next? Amsterdam and Shanghai. Oh my God, I'm so jealous. Yes, I'm looking forward to both of those places. Who are you flying with? Uh, it's an eclectic mix, actually. It's BA to Amsterdam, KLM back, and then Cathay for the rest. Nice. Well, you'll tell us all about that in the next episode. I'll also tell you about the little quirk that I'm going to do. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing <laughs> all about this one. And uh, on that, uh, safe travels. Safe travels, guys. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.